to episode 67 of the Spelling Can Talk About Anything. I'm your host, Melanie, with two L's because the spelling of your name doesn't change from one week to the next. I have a really awesome guest for you this week, and I'm sorry that this is kind of delayed a little bit because uh, it took me longer than it normally would to edit the episode, but there, I'll explain in a second. But I do have a great guest, and I'm going to get to it very, very shortly. Um, before I get to that, uh, a friend of mine passed away this weekend from accidental drug overdose and I am devastated because it's a friend that I've known for most of my life and very good friends with his family so it's very hard and I just wanted to say if you're listening to this and you are someone or you know someone who is struggling with drug addiction please reach out I know it's an illness I know it's difficult I know all of these things, even though I myself have never struggled with it, I've lost friends to it. And it's it's an epidemic. It's terrible. It's just heartbreaking. And that's a story for another episode. But I am going to look up the resources in, um, you know, Canada, United States for, you know, helping addicts recover and just trying to get these synthetic opioids off the street whatever else I can do and uh, I'm going to share them on the podcast and uh, sorry I'm flustered I'm going to share them on the podcast x page which is at a blonde who talks and I'm sorry that this is so flustery and, and not polished but I don't think this is something that I need to um to polish up because this is raw and real and life is not always polished so um rest in peace to my friend Matt you will be missed and um, let's move on with the episode. So before we get to the guest, um, you know, technology has made it really easy to record podcasts from remotely. So you don't have to be in the same room as the person that you're chatting with and so on. You can you do it via Zoom. And we did that. But unfortunately, I cannot control the sound quality of the other person. So sometimes if they're just using a phone or not using a microphone or they're using their computer, um, the audio picks up a little weird and that happened in this episode, unfortunately, but it is still a great episode. We are talking the original Playboy Club, um, soap operas, cabaret, off-Broadway shows at 54 Below. Uh, Jennifer Bassey is here. Well, hi. I'm glad to be here. You look very, very pretty. Your eyes are beautiful and I love your hair oh, thank color. Thank you. Thank you. You yeah. know, I've had- And your skin color. looks great. Thank you. <laughs> I went to get Botox. My daughter. Like, oh my! They were like, "For what?" And I was like, "I have wrinkles," and they were like, "No, you don't." Honey, you're not ready. Trust me, you will know when you're. Are we recording this? Yeah, but I won't. I yes, we're recording. It. Okay. Okay. No, you don't have to delete it. When you're 20, you say, "I don't know why women are getting facelifts." When you're 30, you go, "I think they're crazy. Why are women getting facelifts?" And when you're 40, you go, "I just feel sorry for them." And when you're 50, you find a plastic surgeon, you say, I don't care if I die on the table, do my face. And here's what it is. Pretty people are used to being pretty. Now, ugly people or unattractive people are used to being unattractive. So when they get older, they don't necessarily run and get a facelift. But when a pretty person, and you're a pretty person, Aww. when a pretty person starts aging, and they get to like they're 50, and you go, well, I have to do it now. I understand why women do this. So... Be prepared, darling. You got a long way to go, but be prepared. It's funny because my grandma was very much like that. Like when she was moments before she died, she couldn't talk anymore, but she knew she was going to see her husband. And she went like this to my mom. And my mom was like, what? And she's going like this. She wanted her lipstick. My mom put the lipstick on. She died. She was a very glamorous, beautiful woman. But my mom, who is very beautiful, she doesn't care about any of the glamour. I got it. I just, it passed a generation and I got all of it. I don't know. Well, if she were on television, she would care about glamour. Because when I started and all my children, we had a, a makeup man who made us all look Asian. Oh, we wow. were yellow. I know. And I said, Norman, I'm not playing an Asian. I'm playing a wasp. And I look <laughs> young. No, you don't look yellow. I said, Norman, I look yellow. I watched the show. So anyway, I got so angry with Norman. I said, well, I'm going to do my own makeup from now on. So I, I followed up around another makeup artist. I said, what should I do here with my eyes? She said, oh, put a little two colors, put a color here and then put a color there. You know. So now I do makeup for people. I make up my friends oh. and everything. 
That's Because I've been awesome. doing my own 40-some years, yeah. So you're like a jack of all trades or, or like a Jackie of all trades, a Jill of all trades. Well, you know, I'm a writer. I've written a, a, a wonderful vampire series, which, of course, if you don't have an agent, you can't get it to anybody. But it's very funny. It's about uh, um, vampires and werewolves and transformational witches living under a code of normalcy in Manhattan. They have a code where they can't kill anybody in the city and blah, blah, blah. And it's very funny. Uh, you know, like uh, the star of the show, the coffin opens and the star of the show named um, DeVille, what's his first name? Very bizarre. Anyway, he sits up and a, and a, a rest, a backrest comes up out of the coffin so he can rest his back back. And then mm. in comes his butler with a glass of blood and a newspaper that he can read the paper for breakfast, you know. So it's like, you know, they're normal people living lives in Manhattan, but of course they're not normal. They're monsters. So that's sounds, what it's called. It's very funny. Like, it's sounds very Vincent, like an updated version of a Vincent Price style of movie, maybe the aesthetic. Well, it's no, they have a code. It's like of today, you know, the, it's like they're living in the Chelsea hotel, but it's yeah, not that's, the Chelsea hotel. that's what I'm saying. It's like a modern, like an updated version of it. All those old films are, have their value. They're all amazing. I'm a huge brando fan so i love the things of old but i think updated versions are uh, are cool as long as they're not remakes like i hate if somebody was to say they're going to remake the godfather i would be like no please don't do that well they can't do it they could try they couldn't do it it wouldn't work the way you know who no. you should work with i think who you would be so funny to work with and this is so random rita moreno Oh my God, I don't know her. I adore her. I think she's extraordinary and she still looks absolutely stunning. She made me laugh. She was on one of those late night shows. She did a movie with uh, Jane Fonda, Sally Fields, and Lily Tomlin. It was uh, based on it's Tom Brady's movie called 80 for Brady. And she's on, she's on the late show. And she's like, when Tom walked in the room, my like one little ovary just like perked up. And I was like, you're like, how old? And, then she, and she's got the high heels. And I'm like, if I have to get old, I want to be like her, you know, like that's, I think you guys would like make a cool, you have a cool sort of similar, similar look and you'd have a great dynamic in like a buddy comedy type thing, like two women. That would be fun, I think. Well, I would love to meet her. I would love to. I'm a big fan of hers. And then, as your, I say, she, what? what who's honey? your inspiration is what I was going to say. To become an Who's actress. my inspiration? Yeah. My, my inspiration, I'm doing a nightclub act. And if you don't know her, look her up. Her name is Marilyn May. She's going to be 96. She's doing 10 shows in a row at 54 below in April. She did two shows on New Year's Eve alone at uh, Birdland. She's been singing uh, with Philharmonic Orchestra since she was eight, and she's going to be 96 in uh, April. And last year, she sold out Carnegie Hall. The mayor of New York named a day after her, Marilyn May Day, March 24th. And uh, if you Google her, you're going to see not only a great singer, but a, a musical savant. I mean, she does all her own arranging, all her own. She does the orchestration. She tells everybody, da, da, da. She does the lighting and she does the sound. So when I open, it looks like there's a good chance I may be opening at 54 Below because we're doing an event there uh, mm -hmm. this month. And next, yeah, this month, it's February now. Uh, and uh, yeah, so she, anyway, so I've been learning about, you know, microphone technique how to present it how to you know play with an audience and all that and so we're, we're going to do it i'm very excited about it anyway i think it's so i think it's cool to see women who are because you know they're all there's all this like over 40 stigma and i see these women like your age and like 96 years old who still have like these big dreams and i think that's so cool well listen you know you never if you are a creative person and you love what you do, you do it till you, you know, fall into a hole, you know, or, or jump off a building. You know, I always say the legs are the last to go. And when they're gone, just <laughs> go up on the top of the building and jump off, you know, because it's all over. No kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, 
I'm also an actor and it's like people sometimes will be like, but you're not you're not famous. And like acting is not about being famous. It's about being creative. And I had someone I was at the the Toronto International Film Festival and it was one of like, you know, when you have like one of those best days of your life, I got to meet Jessica Chastain who's one of my heroes. And she came up to me and I was like, Jessica, every time you say you're only one job away, you're only one job away. I feel like you're talking to me. And she put her hands on my shoulders and she said, I can't wait to work with you on set. So I was like, so, you know, blown away by that. I was emotional. And this guy says to me, why don't you try another career while you're still young enough? And I was like, why don't you keep like cleaning out people's toilets? If that's your passion, that's not mine. <laughs> why don't you jump off a tall building? Yeah, right. <laughs> but because I feel, and you probably can relate to this too. Nobody would choose to do this for a living. It chooses you. You really don't have a choice. Well, well, Dominic says you're an amazing success. I, I'm right? doing I'm doing well. Yeah. I mean, I, I took a year off. My last interview that I did was with Cecilia Choi, who, of course, you worked with on Kombucha Cure. Yes. She wrote it. And yes. she, she, I seen the show. I love doing it. Season doing two. The second season. Yeah. Yeah. This that. year. I saw Jasper was hosting. Isn't yeah, Jasper, Jasper cute? I love him so much. I, I love Jasper, but he's very bad. I had him on the podcast and he knows that I'm friends with Tom Bergeron, who's a huge yoga guy. And he's like, ask Tom if he enjoys tantric yoga. So I'm like, okay. And then Tom came on the show for like the second time and I asked him and he's like, Melanie, that's sex yoga. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I would have never asked. <laughs> and he's like, I think he was just trying to play like a joke with you. And I had Denise uh, Boutte on the show. So there's a lot of people that we both kind of worked with in some capacity. And that's a great show. And the story, uh, Tamara Braun is amazing. Like everybody on that, in that cast is quite talented. Tamara is just, she is, I love her. I love her. She's a natural, she's just a natural actor. But so are you. you, know, you like just don't see... Thank you. Thank you. What I mean by a natural actor is <clears throat> you just never see her working. It, it, it's like there's a real person happening to, you know, like they've suddenly found a woman on the street and they start filming her. Uh, Marcy Walker on All My Children, she played my daughter. And that's why I had your hair color, because she mm -hmm. had that hair color. And so I got that hair color for a long time, loved it. And um she was like that. She was a seamless actor. You know, you, 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 it was like someone put her in this place and she was this person, you know? I mean, that to me is great acting. That's like a Robert De Niro type of actor where it's just, you believe everything they're, they're doing, no matter what it is that they're doing. It's very, I don't, I'm not there yet. <laughs> so Jasper set you up, did he? He set you up with Tantra Yoga. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I've never, I don't, I don't do yoga. I'm, I'm not that flexible. Um, I mean, I've started working out again just because I want to lose some weight for the business, even though we all do. It's funny because uh, like I had an agent before and he like, I still have an agent, but I have a different agent. And he had this obsession with me changing my hair. He didn't like it. I was too blonde. And then one day he basically told me that I was not pretty enough to be blonde which broke my heart and oh. I was in Los Angeles walking down the street and I tell this story to everybody because I'm so proud of it and still can't believe it happened and I got pulled over by Quentin Tarantino on the street out of nowhere and he it was this I was having the worst day of my life and he was like can you get in my car because like I'm holding up traffic and it was, like, he just wanted to talk to me and we talked and I was upset and I ended up telling him that and he was like no leave your hair it's like it's very unique not a lot of people have it why would you change something about yourself that you like? Uh, and then I'm like, well, I need, I'm not attractive enough. I need to lose weight. And he was like, do not listen to those people. And I'm like, why not? Right. And he goes, That's right. because he said, they told me I would never make a movie. And now they can't pay me enough to keep making them. So I I ended up taking his advice and I kept the hair and I'm sure that it's held me back from, you know, getting certain roles, but I think I'm, I'm happier. And I think you could probably relate are to they? this. Are the they? more you're are yourself. They? the more you're happy. Let me tell you something. You just get a bunch of wigs. Oh, I have tons. I have tons, <laughs> I have tons of wigs in different colors. Me and too. And so <laughs> if they want 
want a brunette, plunk on a brunette. You know, if you if you do it well, it'll they won't even know you're not. I did a, a show, <laughs> let's see what it's called. Oh, it was a very famous show. It's a long time ago and I can't even remember. Names are the first to go when you get older. Um, Coach, this show called Oh, Coach I know that. I know TV. the show. And so, oh, I, I think, I'm not sure. Don't ask I me, think darling, it, I think I, it, well, was, I know the show. I, I wore, I had a long hair, kind of ponytail in real life and, and turning gray for, for grandma's. And so I wore my red wig. I, I, I used to be a redhead. So I wore a red wig and I came in. And then for the first rehearsal, I came in with my own hair. And they said, are you wearing a wig? I said, no, I was wearing a wig yesterday, you know? And and they don't know. I mean, I wore a wig. I just did a movie two years ago with Mary Louise Parker. Uh, it's a, it's a it's very off the charts interesting, and um, and why am I bringing that up now to you? The hair you're talking reason. about the hair, the wig. So I wore a wig which I can I can grab from behind me. And, and, oh, hold on, hold on, I'll show it to you. Hold on, sure. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay, I'm just because you can be <laughs> naked from the waist down on Zoom and no one knows. You're not... <laughs> Okay, now I'm gonna put this I'm gonna put this wig on on camera with you. Okay. And so Sounds like fun. You're gonna see, see how people I wear tons of wigs. I think my mom she showed me too much Dolly Parton. <laughs> oh, I like that. So I wore this and I I aged it a little bit by putting it behind my ear with Mary Louise. And um uh, so that's what I wore. And it's cute. It, and is it cute. doesn't look the same color as my hair. I mean, I got it on purpose, you know, in gray. But, you know, you can become anybody you want, you know? Yeah. That's the joy of being a performer, you know? So, okay, I want to segue to 54 Below. Yeah, I was just about to in, say, you're about to do a, a Broadway show or well, off Broadway. My, my, my late husband, and I, I met, and it's the kind of thing where you meet someone and you fall in love on sight. You know, I I said, I, I met him and I called a friend of mine, Adele Sardi, Vincent Sardi's wife. We were backers in a Broadway show that he did. And and uh, he was going to give us tickets to the, uh, the opening as a present to the backers. And I went up to pick up my tickets and he said, you're the girl who doesn't sign her letters. I wrote him a letter. My name uh -huh. is Luther Davis. And I looked at him and I heard crystal music, like not of the planet, like somewhere from heaven or something. And I just was stunned to silence. And I said, well, what? I said, why don't we have lunch? And he said, I said, oh, no, I don't mean now. I mean, you know, someday. And so I ran out, I ran out of the office, ran downstairs and I called Adele Sardi. I said, Adele, I just met Luther Davis. I don't know if he's married. I don't know if he's gay. I don't know if he's straight, but I'm gonna be with him the rest of my life. And we were together for 30 years, for 30 oh. years. Anyway, he wrote a lot of major motion pictures and he wrote a lot of series. And he wrote three Broadway shows, Kismet, you know, Take My Hand, I'm a Stranger in Paradise. Do you know that? I actually do. Okay, that's very, lots of famous songs came out of it. And and um, so when we were together, he revived, <coughs> he revived a, a, a show that he had done in the 50s uh, called Grand Hotel. And Grand Hotel uh, was done with John Barrymore and Greta Garbo and all kinds of famous movie stars in the th early 30s. And it's about, you know, one or two days in the Grand Hotel Berlin. And it's like a revolving door. In fact, the set was like a revolving door. And uh, life begins, somebody has a baby, life ends, someone is murdered. Life, you know, the, life, the revolving door just keeps revolving. And it's about being in the hotel and it is magical. It is a magical show. It's very haunting. And um, Lilian Montevecchi, who was a very famous French star, um, played the ballerina. I am not a ballerina. 
you know, but uh, I'm playing the ballerina. We're just doing some scenes, but mostly it's music from the show and the story. And so it's being revived at 50 more below. I saw it about 10 years ago uh, when she was still with us. And it was wonderful. It was just wonderful. It was like the whole show and people had tears. I mean, people were just very, you're very moved by it. In other words, it's a visceral experience, which I think if I don't get moved by something, I don't like it. And you get very moved by this because my, my aging character, uh, for instance, there's some lines like this. He, he uh, the Baron, who I fall in love with, is coming in to steal my diamond necklace because he has a, um, a, a gambling debt. And they said, if you don't do it soon, we're gonna take care of you. So he goes into my hotel room and, and I come in and I say, what are you doing here? Because I have a very European accent. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, madam, I, I, I'm here to breathe the air you breathe. I said, you want to breathe the air I breathe? You've got five seconds to do better. And he goes, well, madam, I'm an ardent fan and and I love you. I said, that's better. How old are you? If you don't mind my asking. And he said, I'm 49 years and 49 months. And I laugh and he says, and you madam? And I go, and me watch my age? Are you crazy? And so he said, if you don't mind my asking, I said, all right, well, why not? I'm 76 years and 76 months. So now that we have been honest with one another, I assume our evening has concluded. And he said, no, madam, our evening is just beginning. And they fall in love and it's just wonderful. And then he gets murdered and it's really tragic. People get deeply moved. So that's basically, and, and there's some wonderful characters, an old man who comes to die, he's dying of cancer. Oh. And he decides he, he's always wanted to live in the Grand Hotel. So he sells all his stocks and everything and he goes to the Grand Hotel and he moves in because he's gonna die there. That's where he wants to die. And you know, there are all kinds of wonderful characters. So anyway, it's being revived and Tommy Toons um, won Tommy won two Tony. It won about seven or eight Tony Awards. I mean, it was it's a for big... his birthday, right? You guys are doing this for his. I think it's eighty fifth for birthday? his birthday. And, but we don't know if he can stream, and he's out in California, so we don't know if we can get the streaming rights. Still, we're trying to get that so that we can go all over the country. You know, so that's where it's at right now, and uh, the cast is delicious. I'm the new addition. They've all done it, but me. So. I'm glomming on to the um, script and dialogue like crazy. And I've almost learned the song. So yeah, yeah, that's what's going on. And it's a tribute to also to my husband. He's been gone quite a while. He's in the Smithsonian, by the way, when, when he oh, passed wow. away, one of our, um, my hairdresser and all my children who doesn't need to work, he's just independently wealthy. And he lives with a man who was the appraiser for the White House and the Smithsonian. And so my husband had just gone. He was he was killed by someone, but it is, oh. I mean, it's a long story. And so um, he called the Smithsonian. He said, I'm gonna call the Smithsonian, Jennifer, and see if they'd be interested in, in, in use, you know, using, keeping all his Tonys and his Edgar Allan Poe Awards and everything he's won and have his whole life there so that people can come and, and, and see how he worked out his career and his life and everything, because he was so prominent. So um, they called the Smithsonian and it went like this. Listen, a friend of ours just died. Uh, would you be interested in, 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 in Luther? They said, Davis, are you talking about Luther Davis? And they said, yes. He said, oh my God, we're very interested. So the appraiser came to my apartment after he left Henry Kissinger's you know, all these appraisers for the Smithsonian. It's very, <laughs> you know, you know, so he comes and he says, oh, first the Smithsonian came and they said, we want everything. I showed them everything, uh, except he had, he wrote every day for 80, uh, 80 years or maybe 75 years. So 
So, you know, there were so many scripts. So <clears throat> they took everything. His first play on Broadway was 1946 after the First World War. And he did tons of, of series. Um, and then he did lots of movies and um, three musicals. So anyway, he's now in perpetuity in the Smithsonian. And a dear friend of mine who um, does interviews for the BBC interviewed him for two hours. So they have a two hour recording that people can listen to taking him through his whole career. So it's very exciting. That's beautiful. I, next time I'm in Washington, I'll have to go and check that out. I've been meaning to go to the Smithsonian because one of the most like significant parts of my own life is in there. Like they have the ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz. And I, I know that's right. such a, it's so cheesy because so many people have a Wizard of Oz it's connection. Not. No, it's not. When I was a little girl, my grandpa, he showed me the movie when I was like two. But I thought that I, I was Dorothy and it was all very real. And, and I was like, I think I was method acting. I don't know. But my grandpa really indulged it. Like my mom and my grandma would be like, stop like she needs to understand that it's not real and he'd be like let her be let her be let her be and eventually I you know I figured out that I wasn't but I think he was a he always had a camera in his hand so I think he was um like a repressed creative who unfortunately had to go to war and had to provide for his family and all that so he wasn't able to do it for himself and then when he saw me doing it I think he saw who I was going to be before I before anybody and he passed away when I was 10 and the anniversary was actually like two days ago. And I talk about him all the time. Like he's still alive and people will be like, it's been this long. Like, why are you still grieving? And I'm like, cause when you love somebody who gave you, they, they gave you so much, you never stop grieving. Like you always, I can't even say the word I loved him because I still love him. So it's my dream is to one day be successful enough that I can make his last because I have his last name so I want his last name to live on the way your husband's living on and maybe not in the Smithsonian but I would like for people years from now to know that this man who wasn't famous didn't play sports didn't do anything special except be a dad to a kid that he didn't need to be a dad to and teach her that everything oh. is possible I that's the greatest game. Not only was he a dad to you, but he inspired you to follow what you wanted to do. So in other words, what I, I'm getting my water, or I think it's back here on the table. No worries. Uh, um, you know, you either have a family who inspires you to follow your dreams, or you have a family who jumps on your dreams and says they're not worthwhile. You know, and you, you can't listen. If your heart is there, you can't listen to them. You know, because if you do, You'll never do anything. And and uh, you just have to follow your dream and see what happens. And I, I, I was listening to a, uh, a church online uh, when I was out in L.A. years ago. It was a crystal church or something, very metaphysical, you know, spiritual. And this man said, how do you know if you're doing God's will? And I thought, Luther, I'm going to turn this up. I want to hear this. And, and what the, what the minister said was, if doors are opening and everything is going smoothly, you're doing God's will. If doors are closing and nothing is opening up for you, you're probably not doing God's will. And that makes a great deal of sense to me because I think there's a plan for all of us that we don't, we can't see and it's in the future. And, and uh, it's going to be revealed to us, you know, like are you I'm sitting, I get this, Marilyn and I, Three days before I got the call to do Grand Hotel at 54 Below, Marilyn said, I want to get you into 54 Below because, you know, um, I, I do, you know, 10 shows every April and I do 10 shows every fall. And, and, and it's difficult to get in because they, you know, they, they, they just, they, it's because a lot of people want to work there. And I said, I, I would really love to work there, Marilyn. And then suddenly I get an email from the people who, who book in the acts saying, we're so thrilled you, you're joining um, uh, Grand Hotel. And we'd also like you to consider talking to us about maybe doing your club act with Marilyn in the fall. And now that all, that door, those doors open, I haven't done anything. They just came to me. So you see, my doors are opening now in that area and I'm loving it. I started yeah, you look great, honey. 
So I was scared that I was uh -huh. like too old. Uh, do you know, are you familiar with the actor Brad Dourif? He he does the voice the of Chucky. His name is Brad Dourif. He was in One no, Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay. But he's a he's an yeah. amazing actor. And he was on my podcast for like four hours because he we couldn't stop talking about he, he was in shock that I knew something other than Chucky. And when I told him that I thought I was too old. Everybody lies about their age. Especially in this I mean, industry. But you get to my age and then you tell the truth because people go, oh, no, are you? You can't be that old. <laughs> I don't know. if I, I don't see people as being old because, like I said, I was so close to my grandpa as a child that for me, older people are more. They have this value that people my age, they just don't have. They don't. They don't think that way. Even my own dad, when I'm like, I want to be an actor, he's like, well, I don't support this. And even if you are successful, I will never be proud of you. I was like, okay, well, I would rather be proud of myself than have you be proud of me. So like, go away, go be proud of whatever, go be proud of someone else. I'm, I would rather die trying to be, you know, a, a very successful actor than live doing something that I, I know doesn't make me happy, you know, like. If your parents don't support you, it's it's a bigger fight. Yeah, but yourself. My mom's very supportive, even though she hates movies. <laughs> she hates them. My mom can't tell you Robert Duval from Robert De Niro. I personally, I know all of them. I'm like, I'm I'm in love with that era of uh, of men for some reason. I don't know. They were. You've got to go back into another era. You've got to go back into Greta Garbo and Marlene. Oh, and I Dietrich. love. I, I I watch that stuff because that's that's Brando. That's the same era as you know Brando. And I've I've seen every I have all of every available piece of Brando's work because I think he's. I can't even say he's just he. he There's something magical about him. So he, what your show is? Your shows are on the twenty seventh or twenty. I wrote it down. Twenty sixth and twenty seventh. And they're fifty four below. It's in Manhattan. Oh yes, it's on Fifty Fourth Street. What a surprise! Are, are you? And it's you, underneath where the old Studio Fifty Four used to be. Studio Fifty Four oh, wow. is now a big theater. Big theater. It's a Broadway theater, and uh, down below is a nightclub called Fifty Four Below. It's below the theater. Wow. And they have great That's... food, and they have great people performing there, and uh, it's like the number one place to work in Manhattan. As wow. a cabaret singer, I, I'm. That's how I feel. So I'm sure a lot of people feel the same. I just think you're. I'm just in awe of you because you've done so much. Like, excuse me. I know you started your career like you were in the Playboy Mansion at some point, right? No, no. I was one of the first forty Playboy bunnies in the very first club in Chicago. Okay. So, so it that's was like, like Wild West territory. Then it was. Uh, it was it was a hot mess as far as we ran our own room. My friend Claudia and I, we ran our own room and we were the entertainment room. So we had people like George Carlin and Jack Burns and Dick Gregory and Bobby Short. You might not remember he passed, but Bobby Short was like just brilliant. He was playing in nightclubs from the age of five years old, playing the piano and singing. So we had nothing but stars in our room and, and we had so much fun, but we also caused a great deal of trouble. And, um, <laughs> I, I was, and I was the troublemaker most of the time. But my first day as a Playboy Bunny, I put my costume on and they said, now, uh, and I said, I'm gonna tip my ear. They said, you can't do that. I said, wait a minute, aren't I renting this costume? And they said, yes. I said, well, Vincent, uh, not Vincent, oh, please. Victor <laughs> Lowndes. Victor Lowndes, who was the vice president of Playboy, uh, they said, Victor Lowndes will probably fire you, you know, because he doesn't like the ears. He likes everything to look straight up the ears. I said, well, he's not wearing them. I'm wearing them. I don't care. So I go down <coughs> to the second floor and I'm working. And this man comes up to me. He said, your ear is crooked. I said, well, you're no prince yourself. And uh, and uh, he said, you got a lot of guts. I said, well, you got a lot of nerve. You know, I rent this costume. He said, yes, you're right. You are right. I said, so can I can tilt it if I want because it's mine for the night. And so he said, you got a lot of guts, kid. Okay, don't worry. 
I'm in your corner. And he walked away and they said, oh my God, are you lucky? You were insulting Victor Mons, the vice president of Playboy. I said, oh my God, well, I could quit in the middle of the busiest night of the year. And he loved me. He didn't care. I mean, he said, no, you can't fire her. She's my favorite, you know? So I was his favorite bunny, but I was a very angry bunny. Kind of was a mean, angry bunny. That's what I was. Why? Because you stuck up for yourself? There's nothing wrong with that. No, because I was rude. I was rude. I didn't like the customer. <laughs> Women would grab your tail and say, I'm a woman. I said, I don't care. You grab my tail again and you're a dead woman. You know, <laughs> because, you know, people think they could grab you. You know, I mean, it was like, so that's why I was an angry bunny. And, uh, you know, and, and if somebody goosed anybody, grabbed somebody, you get six cream de mint. You know what cream de mint is? Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, the problem with cream de mint is when you drop cream de mint on somebody, whatever they're wearing will be unwearable. They'll have to just burn it. You can't get it out. It smells so bad, too. My tail. If someone grabbed my tail, I would say, Claudia, go drop six cream de mint on that guy over there. She said, the guy with the white hair? Yeah. Okay, so a friend of mine with white hair was sitting higher up above the guy, right? So she goes over and drops it on my friend. And he said, no, you're not supposed to drop it on me. You're supposed to drop it on that guy. <laughs> That's funny. Did you ever meet Hef? Huh? Did you ever meet Hef? What? Did you ever meet Hugh or no? Hugh Hefner? Oh, my God. Every night. Every night. Like, yes. I mean, yeah. I've never met him. and I don't for my friend, we were on a trip to LA and she had, she was from, she's from Indiana. So for her, LA is like a very it's small, like she it, it's big, sorry. And she was like, I want to go to the Playboy Mansion in the middle of the night. And she backed the car into the friggin' uh, mailbox. There's like a mailbox outside the gate. She knocked that right over. And like six months later, I got a phone call that she destroyed the suspension on the bottom part of the the car the rental car just because she wanted to go look at and i'm like you can't see anything it's just a like a big gate but she wanted to go so a lot of people are fascinated by the whole idea of you know playboy and things he was a great he was a very good businessman a very clever businessman and that's what he was i know anna made... nicole loved him anna nicole Who? smith she loved anna nicole smith oh, she yeah. loved him i yeah. loved her she was some, she was a great beauty. She was, she a, was great a great beauty. beauty. But you know what? I think she was yeah. a good person too. And I think that that we didn't get to experience that because people were so focused on the fact that she looked that way. You know, like she was like a Marilyn Monroe clone almost. I love Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? A lot of people, sometimes when I talk about her, people will be like, she's a whore. And I'm like, you don't like even know. And she had, you know what? She did what she needed to do to survive, I guess, at that time. Oh, no, she wasn't a whore. She was, she was a very smart woman. You did Who's she the Boss, the right? What? You did an episode of Who's the Boss, right? Yes. Well, the one did of you... Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is on the episode I did. Okay. Did you work? Did you enjoy working with Judith? Judith Light? I didn't work with her. I didn't work no? with her. At all? No. She wasn't there? I, she was there, oh, yeah. of course, but they did a whole thing. It was all around Frank Sinatra. Okay. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of Frank Sinatra. The only thing I liked him in, and I didn't even really like him in it, I just because I liked the movie Guys and Dolls. Mm hmm. I just because I know Marlon Brando didn't like him and I, so I don't like him now. <laughs> well, I, I I like I know a lot of people who knew him and uh, yeah, no, I didn't dislike him at all. I, I thought he was extraordinarily talented. Um, I didn't like his politics as far as right. mafia goes, stuff right. like that. But uh, that's just you know that's his personal preference. So. Fine. I never saw that episode. I'll have to go back and watch it. I see like uh, one of my friends is uh, David DeLuise. So his father is Dom DeLuise. 
And Dom yes. DeLuise was never a big deal to me. And then one day I was watching Golden Girls and they're all freaking out. And they're like, oh my God, we're going to meet Dom DeLuise. And then I was like, David, you're talking about your dad on Golden Girls. And he's like, yeah, because my dad was a big thing like in his time. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, it's, I would love to do one of those guest spots where you get to be on an episode, like with somebody like a Frank Sinatra or like a more modern Frank Sinatra, so like Robert De Niro. I'm dying to work with him. I don't know if I'll get to, but we'll see. Well, you know, it, it could happen. Anything sure. could happen. Brad George right. told me you have to put yourself, he told me, put yourself in the right place and just keep going back and they'll get so sick of seeing you that they'll be like, do you want a job? Do you want an acting gig? We'll just give it to you. I have a, you I have a wonderful, I have a wonderful story. Let's hear it. Um, there was a um, famous musical producer and writer in England. And he he was like Neil Simon of the West End as far as he would do a musical a year maybe, and he would write them, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. So there would be, there was a woman named, let's call her Agnes. Okay. <laughs> and every year, Agnes would come in and audition. And she was terrible. Uh, but but they loved her and they got to know her. And they started really feeling friendly toward her after a few years of her auditioning. So, so she comes in uh, years later, you know, to audition, which she did every year. And they said, Agnes. And she said, what? He said, we're going to write a role for you. And she said, oh, no, thank you. I only do auditions. That's funny. That's so she great. Turned it down. She only does auditions. Um, are you familiar with Mandy okay. Patinkin at all? Oh, I know of him. I've seen his work, yeah. Yeah, of and, his, and his wife, Catherine, they're like some of the most amazing people you could ever hope to like meet in your life and I loved Mandy and he was coming to the film festival so I messaged him on Instagram and I'm like I have to meet you like I love you so they had like this fan area where you could wait to meet stars and I kind of knew that there wasn't going to be that many people there for Mandy so I went and I had this big sign and he knew it was going to be there, so I didn't need it, but I just wanted to make him feel good. And Mandy gets out of the car and he starts clapping, comes right up to me. And we have a whole conversation. And it was my birthday during the pandemic. I mean, everybody has a birthday, but he sent me a video of himself singing happy birthday. And then he goes, I know that you're going to make it in this business. And when you do, please remember me because I need jobs. And I was like, oh, my God. And like, <laughs> you don't need a job from me. But I think it's a, a thing all of us as artists are kind of insecure about. We'll find things wrong with ourselves, even if they don't exist. And I find everything, everything wrong. I'm like, mom, I look 45. And my mom's like, you've come, you're compulsive. Like this is a disease. Are you in, a, are you in an acting class? Yes. Yes. I do take classes. Always. You, you get have up to every, keep learning. I am too, but you get up every week and work. Yep. Okay. You have to. Oh, I know I had, that. You have to keep your razor blade sharp because otherwise you, you're going to make an audition too important. My first and, acting and class ever, the teacher came in and I think that's the day that my brain decided whether or not I was going to keep going or not because before I even got to perform, she looked at me and she said, I don't like your hair. and I don't like your high heels. And I was like, but I'm not here to learn how to dress. I'm here to learn how to be a better actor and every week she would she made me cry like she was so terrible with me because she just didn't like me and I if I had not been more than sure that I love to do this I don't think I would have ever went back because it's 12 weeks of the same person just being mean to you and I kept going and because <laughs> I just I just wanted to be a better actor I want to be <laughs> the I, best that I, I can flew be. I flew from the playboy club in Chicago, auditioned to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and got the lowest entrance marks in the history of the school. This was in 1961. And in 2004, I get a phone call. He goes, um, 
<coughs> Joan, because my name was Joan then. Joan, it's Richard Digby Day. I said, Richard, oh my God, how are you? He said, darling, I'm fine. I want to tell you that you still hold the record for the lowest entrance marks in the history of the Royal Academy. And we want you to fly over the centennial as this year. It's a hundred years old, the Royal Academy. And we want you to do the audition and show them why you got the lowest entrance marks in the history of the school. So I did, I flew over and um, I did my audition and people were hysterical laughing because it was so bad. I mean, it was the worst you've ever seen probably. So anyway, I get into the Academy and they said, we'll probably kick her out in her first year because, you know, her audition was the worst we've ever seen. <laughs> and I graduated top of my class with Anthony Hopkins, which was not bad. So being an American, I was in a, a speech class with a very mean woman named Miss Scott. And she was very mean. And she would say things like, all right, class, Americans can't hear. Certain sounds. All right, Joan, say the lawyer's daughter. And I'd say the lawyer's daughter, because I'm from Chicago. Mm -hmm. And she'd say, you hear that class? They can't hear that. Now, Joan, say the long road. I said, the long road. See, she can't hear that either. I got so angry. I got Laurence Olivier's voice teacher. And I worked with her all summer. And I came back to class and I said, the lawyer's daughter and the long road. And then I gave her, no, <laughs> I didn't give her the finger. <laughs> but I sure wanted to. But, but you it did was with tough. your career. Well, listen, I mean, you know, we had, we had teachers who would say this to you. You'd get up to do a speech. And she'd say, do you type? <laughs> like on a typewriter? No, or, you mean you better sh change over and become a typist because you can't right. act. Right after you did a speech, she would say that to you. I mean, so talk about a lot of teachers are very sadistic because you're doing what they want to do and they don't have the guts or the talent to do it. So they're so critical of you to make you feel bad. And that's wrong. You've got to get teachers who nurture you, you know, who make you feel good about yourself. I did a class with Kevin Spacey and I know much can be said about Kevin Spacey, but as far as acting, he's tremendous. And I did a scene from Breaking Bad. I did Walter White and he was like, why did you choose this? And I thought he was going to tell me that I did something wrong. And I was like, well, I chose it because I thought that I could do it. Is there something wrong with it? And he was like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just everybody knows how Brian Cranston does this. We've, we've all seen it. So he's like, for this class, great great but don't take that into an audition and I was like well I wasn't planning on it like it was just for the for the sake of the class like I thought it would be a fun exercise and he pulled a lot of out of me like as an actor where I actually felt like oh I am good at this and if somebody like Kevin Spacey thinks I'm good then maybe I am <laughs> I don't know well you already know if you're good you know you don't need people to tell you you just have to know that you're good I know that I'm good I had to well, learn you're, it. You're, you're more than good. I mean, you're it's an very hard. I mean, I didn't, I didn't believe I was very good. You know, I, I was told as a little girl, you're never going to amount to anything. You're not as pretty as your sister, you know, da, da, da. And so I didn't realize that only pretty women were Playboy bunnies. I didn't think I was very pretty. And number two, I graduated top of my class with Anthony Hopkins. And, you know, I didn't think I was going to have a successful life, you know, a career. I didn't believe it, you know, because of my parents telling me all this negative. So uh, many years later, I said, you know, I'm not bad looking at all, you know, and I've got talent, you know, and you have to have faith in yourself. Yeah, like, I mean, that's true. You have to believe, I guess, if, if you don't, one of my favorite people in the world is Tom Brady, which I'm sure you don't care, the football player. And his, I love one of his do you? One of his oh, most God. famous sayings is, if you don't believe in yourself, why is anybody else going to believe in you? That's right. That's right. You have, to, there's the saying called act as if, act as if you're already there. See, I do that. And then people think I'm like this snob and this like bitch. And it's funny because I'm not like when I'm around people, other like actors and things, 
like if I go to a film festival, for example, and Mandy Patinkin's there, it's not my fault that he's going to choose to have a conversation with me instead of someone else. Like I met uh, Bill Nye, the amazing actor that he is like, and people were trying to ask Bill for like autographs and things, but he was too busy standing there talking to me because I, all I said to him was, thank you for your, your contribution to film. And he was like, oh my God, like nobody ever stops you to, to thank you. They just want pictures and this and that. And we had a really great conversation and I had a similar conversation with Judith Light, which is why I asked about it. And I, all oh, I told very, her was- very talented. She's very she's talented nice. though. She yeah. is. And I, when I, I met her, I said, I'd like to thank you for like, you know, giving somebody like me something to strive for. And she just, she was like, keep doing it, keep doing it. And people were getting mad because she was too busy talking to me. And I'm like, I'm not here to take your place. And I will not approach somebody who doesn't mean anything to me. But if you're somebody in this field who's done something that's touched me, I want you to know that because all of our time on this planet is fun. And so many people don't take the time to thank you for your performances and the work like so many actors have gotten me through things without even knowing that they did that. So be being able to thank them for it. Like, of course I can never thank, you know, Judy Garland, Ray Bolger, whatever, cause they're dead from the wizard of Oz, but I've been to all their graves and left little notes because it's just out of respect. I want, like, I just want them to know that I appreciate that they gave their life to this platform. I know they made money and whatever, but like Ray Bolger, for example, always said, people will not remember my name. They won't. They don't. They don't. But they'll always remember no. the straw man. They remember that. And that's more than most people ever. I remember the name because I these are people that I like worship almost because it's why I wanted to do this for a living. You know, it, it's a crazy yeah. job. <laughs> that's what I was asking when I said, who's your inspiration? Like, who made you want to go into this field? Oh, I think. I was kind of, I didn't really know anything about her, but I loved her, it was Tallulah Bankhead. Okay. Tallulah Bankhead was a very famous star back in, oh God, of long ago. And she was a terrible alcoholic. And she was very outrageous. Like one day her, her um, assistant came in to her room and she'd fallen asleep with a cigarette in her hand. And the, the assistant came in and said, Tallulah, Tallulah, your dog is on fire. She said, well, put him out. And then she went back to sleep. <laughs> put him out. You know, she was, I mean, she was having a conversation with um, Eleanor Roosevelt. And she left the bathroom door open when she peed because she didn't want to miss what they were talking about. <laughs> so she peed in front of Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean... She was outrageous. And I, as a young girl, thought that was the way people should be. So I, I really, but the reason I got into this business is that I lost my voice when I was about nine. I was out ice skating. We were all yelling in Chicago and I lost my voice. And when I started to talk, this husky voice came out. And I was a high soprano and suddenly I was a bass in the choir. I mean, I couldn't sing a high soprano anymore. And um, so I didn't talk for three days and they promised me my voice would come back and it never did. And so my voice really fascinated people. And I got into a little drama thing at high school and everybody thought I was wonderful. And I thought, well, at least maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do something wonderful. So that's what happened. That's what happened. I used to sing too when I was younger. My, uh, my grandpa, he loved listening. Like he would listen to me on in his car. Like he was... And after he died, my dad was like, this is not like a job. It's not real. You can't do that. And I, instead of listening to myself, I listened to him. And then I was going to go to school to be a journalist. And then finally, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try. I'm going to try and be an actor. And I made my mom like move from our hometown so that I could be somewhere where acting would actually, you know, be a thing. And it's been, it's fun. Like it's a, it's a tough business. It's are you fun. in L.A.? Where are you? I'm not. Where I'm in you? Toronto. Ugh. Okay. Toronto, Canada. Just for now. I'm going I'm going to move to like LA. It. I don't like Canada. When I'm in California, oh. people treat me so nicely compared to how they treat me here. And it's funny because everybody in LA is beautiful and people are so nice to me. And I'm like, everybody's beautiful here. And you're not people like if you're not attractive, I find people are not nice to you. 
not as nice I don't know in Toronto it just in general in life but here yeah. people are people are cold it's I just I don't know but I think I've taken so much of your time and I don't want to keep you but I just have one more question what was it like because it's a gift what was it like to play the same character for so long oh my god my it was you know this is what's so wonderful about playing a character on and off for, for 30 years. It's like slipping on a comfortable coat that you've always loved, you know, because you know her inside out, you know, everything she's done, you know, and you and you come in and it's like you've never been gone. You know, mm -hmm. once in a while they write you out, like, you know, you murder someone and you go to prison. That means you're not working, you're in prison. Right. You know, but then out of prison and then you know you're causing more trouble and um and my character was very much like may west oh i uh, love her you know <laughs> I talked in dirty one-liners i mean if i had a line would you like a bite of my hamburger i would go would you like a bite of my hamburger and people would get it people would get it because they were all, everyone was doing comedy when I started and all my children, everybody was funny and I was lethal. People threw tomatoes at me in the street. One woman hit me in the, in the supermarket over the, in the face and said, you adulterous bitch. You know, and I'm going, no, no, I'm just playing a character. You know, I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm married. I'm happily, <laughs> you know, but they don't get it. So playing Marion <coughs> was a really a great gift. It was a great gift. I mean, first of all, she's an outrageous. She was the first cougar ever on television. Wow! Before anybody, she was nineteen eighty-four, and I was called. I was told you're going to have to sleep with a nineteen-year-old, and I was oh, well boy. in my. <laughs> and I said, "Well, if he can handle it, I can handle it." And and uh, <laughs> so, so I was hired to sleep with this nineteen-year-old boy, and. Um, and I and I, it was really wonderful till I caught him in bed with my daughter, and I was very upset with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't know and this, then, but it's all one takes, right? And for soaps, it's mostly like one or two takes, and then you're done. Uh, no, no, it not. And now it is. Now yeah. it is. Now they just want you to get in and out. There's no time because time is money, and they want you to be out at six o'clock. So. So you have to do over a hundred pages in one day. Now movies do six or seven pages in a day, and that's a lot. I know we do over a over one hundred pages in a day. I learned so about the you... one take thing or the two take thing from. Uh, um, I almost called her Phyllis. She's that's anonymous. Michelle Stafford, who plays. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's yeah, we like were on, we were on. Oh. We were on, I was on um, General Hospital for eight shows playing a real estate broker. And and um, I told her I loved her. She's unreal. Like she's, she's fab. so good. They've replaced her character with other actresses over the like years. My mom used to watch it. I mean, we don't watch it anymore, but she used to. And I find if I, if I catch it, like, and I see Michelle, it's like, she's just right in there. Like she's, she's, she doesn't care. Like she's just awesome. And she looks amazing. When I found out her age, yeah, I almost beautiful. passed out. She's she's sorry. She's a great, and, she's a great and a great beauty. actress and a great like yes. for soaps. She should have been in movies. Her Eileen Davidson yep. and um, Melody Thomas Scott. Well, Jennifer, I had so much fun chatting with you. I think you're amazing. I think you're an, a very inspiring woman. I learned a lot. Um, I hope we can keep in touch because I'd love to follow what, what you're doing your project. I, I follow like you on Instagram. I sorry? would very much like to. I would very much like to keep in touch with you and find out what you're doing. Oh, I would you like know? that too. And yeah. And, and and if you get to New York, I'll take you all around. I'm actually because... coming. I'm coming to New York very soon. I'm going to see um, Eddie Redmayne is doing cabaret on Broadway. Wow. Yeah. It's new. It's a new production. Yeah. And my He's... friend wants to see Water for Elephants on Broadway. She's coming from Paris. So we will be in New York. Okay. So what so days can, are you in? We haven't days? we haven't settled on the days yet, but it's going to be like April or May in the springtime. Okay, I will be back like in late in late April. Yeah, yeah. Let me see. 
So I'll show you some stuff that nobody else would show you. I'm really glad we met and I'm glad that you don't mind keeping in touch because I always love a good person. I love good I love person. keeping in touch with a good soul and somebody who's done you've done everything that I'm trying to do. So, you know, maybe I'll hit you up for advice or something. Do you have any in closing, do you have any advice for actors, any young actors out there who are um, maybe struggling or scared to do it? Well, Francesca James, who has won five Emmys, she's a good friend of mine from All My Children. She starred on it. She also produced and she also um, directed and she's won Emmys in all three categories, five Emmys. Wow. And she says, you've got to do it yourself today. You can't be in the right place at the right time. There is no such thing as that anymore. So I'm writing a one-woman show about my disasters in my career, which are very funny in retrospect, but they weren't funny when they happened. I mean, I worked with Mickey Rooney. I know <gasps> so much about Judy Garland that I can't tell you. Uh, I, you I love her. With Rex Harrison. I've worked with um, you know lots of big stars, and I did Neil Simon on Broadway, and yeah, no, so. The thing is, you have to find a way of putting yourself out there yourself. You know, like an off-Broadway show, if you could raise money and find a good play for yourself or, you know, whatever. But you have to create it. Like Marilyn and I, Marilyn May and I, if you Google Marilyn May, she's going to be 96 in April. You're not going to believe her singing. She sounds like a 30-year-old. You know, and she's unbelievable. Um so you put yourself out there in a way that you can be seen, but you do it yourself. Like even if you want to write a stand-up comedy thing for 20 minutes, something funny, and go to a club and stand up and do it. See what happens. You know, you've got to go out. Agents are impossible. Agents only want class A actors who are in the A-list. That means I like big, big agents, stars. yeah. Yeah. That's it. Little agents can only get you into little things. So you have to create things for yourself. You have to create things for yourself. That's fair. You have That's to make, advice. If you make a documentary on, on uh, all the people you've interviewed and how they've changed your life, that would be very interesting. I'm actually writing a screenplay. It's gonna take me forever because I, I don't, I don't like the end, but I'm writing a screenplay about my relationship with my grandpa growing up as a child and how, like, mm -hmm. I was so close to this man. We went to daycare together. Like I loved him that much, but I want to change the ending so that he doesn't die. And I'm friends with a great screenwriter. He tells me all the time, you cannot change the ending just because you don't like it. If you're telling the truth, you cannot do that. And I'm like, but I want to. And he's like, no, he's like, you need to. The audience needs to see that because that's what's going to make them go, oh, no, my heart. But if they just see happy, 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 it, it's not real. It's not real life. It's like, OK, so that's hard. It's hard to write that because if it was up to me, he wouldn't he wouldn't die ever. You know, like that's but that's well, well, you know, you can write this down. None of us are going to get out of here alive. Yeah, I know. But of Mandy Patinkin told me. As long as there's one person who still remembers you, it is not over. So I'm hoping that I can, I can do that. I just, yeah, I would love to achieve as much as you have. And just, I love this job oh and I want to find, there's some kid, I know there's a kid out there somewhere who's just like me, who doesn't know if they can do it. And maybe if they see me do it, they'll be like, oh, I can do that too. So I want to, I really want to, you know, make you see, it. You're doing something right now. You have a job right now. And mm -hmm. according to Dom. This is a very popular podcast. Yeah, it's, and it's doing, doing well. And you're doing very well, darling. So you, you're putting yourself down in a way because you're definitely doing something. And, you. uh, you, and you're successful at it. And, and I think if you do a documentary on everybody you've interviewed and how they've touched your life, that would be a very interesting thing to put out there. I wouldn't know See, where to start. Think of, think of, well, you just go back to your files and you get the, the people who've impacted you the most. And, 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 and um, 
play some little excerpts. You be on camera, you can play a couple of excerpts and say this, this actor, you never know how giving they are in real life because they play villains and they changed, he changed my life or she changed my life, you know? Use what you have, create something out of what you are right now. Use That's it as another, another step up. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. It was a lot of fun recording with Jennifer. She is a legend. She's an Emmy winner. She's performing off-Broadway at 54 Below on the 26th and 27th of this month. I will also include a link um, for tickets for that on the X page, which is at a blonde who talks on X, Twitter, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And I'm still a little flustered about my friend passing away. So I don't have a whole lot of sunshine, lollipops and rainbows to, to give to you right now, but thank you for tuning in and thank you for making the podcast chart again. It means a lot to me. Um, yeah. So I might have to do an episode in the future that discusses the consequences, not only of what happens to you when you become addicted to drugs, but what happens to the people that get left behind when you think that it's not, it can't happen to you, but you end up dying. Um, yeah. So uh, next week is going to be just me, solo episode. It'll be after the Super Bowl. So you're probably going to get a lot of unhinged takes from me, which will be a lot more light hide, bleh, a lot more lighthearted and fun. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking with me. Uh, thank you to my sponsors, Michael Saltberg, Family Wines, Huxware, and Snack Conscience, all amazing companies. I will link those as well. And uh, just thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to my rant. And thank you to Jennifer for joining me and giving such fun energy to my week and just inspiring me anew and becoming a friend, actually. <laughs> so I made a new friend this week. There's, there's always a silver lining, right? So thank you again. And I'm sorry for babbling, but sometimes grief can make you uh, speechless. And that has is what it has done to me. So I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.